Friends, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us. We ask, Lord, that our the attitude of our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing unto you. We pray, Lord, that even in the, the way in which I preach and the way in which we listen, Lord, this would be a pleasing offering unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're continuing our series on Genesis. And last week, we looked at the, the fall of man and how sin first entered the world through Adam and Eve's desire to uh, do things their own way instead of God's way. Uh, today, we see a, a few more notable firsts in the Bible. Uh, we see the first birth. We see how Eve gave birth to a, a baby boy named Cain and later to his brother Abel. We also see the first obvious act of worship in the form of offerings made to God uh, from both Cain and Abel. And we also see the first instance of man's anger. And this is followed by the first physical death and uh, the first murder where Cain murders his brother Abel. Uh, we also see a couple of similarities with last week's passage. Again, God gives mankind an opportunity to own up to their own sin. Um, and he also asks a question that he already knows. You know, he asks Cain, where is your brother? It's not like God doesn't know. And again, mankind tries to deceive God. Cain pretends that you know, he doesn't know where his brother is and he answers, you know, am I bro my, my brother's keeper? And again, sin results in a curse and mankind is driven from God's presence. And again, God shows mercy by not outright wiping them out. But today I want to focus uh, not only on this whole area of sin and murder and all that, but also on one element in particular, and that is offerings made to God. And so the big idea for today is that our offerings please God when they display a heart that pleases Him. Okay, Our offerings please God when they display a heart that pleases Him. Now let's have a look at these offerings. The first thing we need to establish is that Cain and Abel, they have different vocations, okay? They do different things for, for a living. Uh, Cain deals with crops, so he's a, a farmer of sorts. And Abel keeps cattle, little cattle, uh, probably sheep, could be goats, but probably a sheep. And so it's pretty natural that what they have to offer to God would be from their own line of work. And so Cain offers some of his crop and Abel offers some of his flock. But for some reason, we don't really know exactly why, it's not very, very explicit or clear. God looks on Abel's offering with favor and uh, the same is not true with Cain's offering. And so the big question of course is why? Why did God look on Abel's offering with favor and not on Cain's offering with favor? Why did God prefer one offering over the other? Was it because God is a, a carnivore and he doesn't like veggie? Uh, now, there are plenty of reasons that God has suggested for why Cain's offering was unfavorable to God. Some have suggested that Cain 
uh, sorry, some have suggested that God gave them instructions that they didn't follow. Uh, that an animal sacrifice was required. Uh, that the, the, some sort of sacrificial system was already put in place. And, or, or that it just happened that way so that it would make a point about Jesus' sacrifice thousands of years later and so on. Uh, although I agree that there are elements of the gospel of Jesus present in this, in this story to, to point forward towards his sacrificial death, I also think a lot of these reasons suggested uh, go into the realm of guesswork and that's something that I want to avoid. So I'm just going to stick with what the Bible clearly says and I'm only going to go into a, just a bit into what I think is more reasonable to infer from that. Uh, one important principle for unpacking what the passage says in the Bible is to see not just that passage but what the rest of scripture has to say about the same thing. From today's passage we can see that the difference between Cain and Abel's offerings is not just uh, about what was being offered but also who was doing the offering, who was the offerer. You see it's not just a simple matter of you know, God preferring lamb chop over salad. The, the offering that they each made was an indication of what was in their hearts. Jesus explains this principle in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you would know a tree by its fruit. And we covered some of this uh, last year. Now the fact that God preferred one offering over another indicates something about the people doing the offering. Now let's look a bit closer. First we'll start with Abel's favorable offering. Now other than the fact that Abel made an offering of meat, verse 4 specifies two other things about this offering. Firstly, that these offerings were made from the fat portions. And secondly, that they were from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, why are these things important? Firstly, fat is associated with being pleasing to God. So, I think God is more pleased with me ever since the MCO began and I'm not able to go to the gym. But we see in various parts of Leviticus that the fat of the animals offered to God are reserved for Him. And that, you know, the people are not allowed to eat of this of the fat from these animals that are being offered to God. Not because it's unhealthy for them, uh, but because the, the fat was considered to be the best part of the animal. You know, so if you, for example, you, you compare the smell of frying meat with fat in it, compared to frying meat totally without fat, uh, you compare the difference, the one with fat always smells better. And so the best part was always given to God. Now, secondly, be, uh, offering the, the firstborn means putting God before yourself and that before you have any right over that thing, God has first rights to it, that it would belong to God first. And so offering the firstborn also meant trusting God uh, because in those days you, you lived off 
the, the land, you lived off the animals, you know, your food, your clothing came from whatever you produced. And so giving to God first represents and symbolizes that you trust that after the firstborn is sacrificed and you're, you're not taking it for yourself, you're giving it to God first, then God will give you even more to feed you and to clothe you. And so these two things, the, the fat and the firstborn, indicate to us what sort of offering Abel gave and also what sort of person Abel was. You can know a tree by its fruit. Now this offering of giving the best and putting God before himself shows us Abel's faith and righteousness. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And the writer of Hebrews also shows that Abel was considered righteous in Hebrews chapter 12, verse uh, 23b to 24, where he, he, he writes, You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So you can see that Abel is considered righteous. Jesus says something similar in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 35. And, and Jesus says, And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. And so what's clear here is that it's not just the offering that Abel made, but the person whom Abel was that pleased God. And Abel's offering would have matched his heart. Now let's look at Cain's offering in comparison. Although verse 4 specifies that, that Abel's offering was of the fat portions of some of the firstborn, verse 3 only says that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. And it is possible that Cain didn't offer to God from his first fruits, which is the, the, the fruit equivalent, the, the grain, the, the veggie equivalent of the firstborn. Now there's a Hebrew word for this first fruits called uh, bikurim. Uh, it, this word bikurim is used in Leviticus to specify the type of grain offerings to be made. And so it, it specifically meant first fruits to be offered to God as grain offerings. And so it's quite reasonable to infer from the absence of such a detail that Cain had not offered his first fruits. Uh, verse 7 tells us that Cain's offering is rejected because he did not do what is right. And since God is the standard for what is right, it specifically means doing it in a way uh, that, that Cain didn't do this offering in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. And so even if the, this whole first fruits thing uh, was not the issue, Whatever it was about Cain's offering, whether it was the offering itself or how Cain did it, whether it was you know, 
the, the attitude of his heart or whether it was the uh, he, he did it reluctantly or he did it carelessly or whatever, God was not pleased with Cain's offering. On top of that, we can also look at what the rest of the Bible says about Cain and his offering. Jude chapter 1 verse 11 says, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, the context of this passage is Jude writing about false teachers who were denying Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And so they were trying to be religious their own way, without Jesus trying to uh, earn their own way to God, their, their own way. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so it's possible to infer from these passages that Cain was trying to worship God on his own terms, his own way, not in a way that was pleasing to God. And so we can see from Cain's example that an offering in itself does not necessarily please God. Now, for most people who are unfamiliar with the, the Christian faith or they are new to it, there's often the, ex the, the assumption that the focus of religion is what you do. You know, that really what is important when it comes to practicing your religion is the, the offerings, the rituals, the prayers. After all, many other religions focus on these things as an end to themselves that the whole point of the religion is doing these things, making these offerings and uh, the, doing these rituals and offering these prayers and that sort of thing. So it's no wonder that many have the idea that we can live a life apart from God, following our own ways, and we can still somehow earn blessings from God by you know, giving monetary offerings or doing good deeds or performing religious acts. But the Christian faith is, the, the end goal of the Christian faith is not these things. The end goal of the Christian faith is always God himself. Relationship with God himself. Everything else, all, all other religious things, all other offerings, all other... Uh, things that we associate with uh, the worship of God, these are all intended to help or to improve our relationship with God as a person or to express uh, these things to God because the, the, the end goal of the Christian faith is relationship with this person, God. And that's why there's this long list of passages in the Old Testament where God is not pleased by the sacrifices and the offerings that are given to him, because they didn't, these offerings did not reflect the kind of hearts that he wanted from his people. I'm just going to list down the, the references. You can check them on your own time. Uh, it's on the screen now. And at, at some point later, uh, if you want to refer, you can just you know replay the video or rewind it or uh, maybe do a take a photo or a screenshot or whatever, okay? I'm not going to read all of it out for you. But out of these passages, 
the one that always hits me the hardest is Amos chapter 5. And I'm just going to read verse 21 to 24 for you. And God says to the people of Israel, He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And so very strong words from God that all these offerings and sacrifices and religious acts made without justice and righteousness are not, not just not pleasing to God, but detestable because it reflects the, the hypocrisy uh, behind it. And so friends, I'd like to challenge all of us here today that we would examine ourselves and our hearts closely over this season of Lent, this season of, of introspection and meditation and discipline and self-control. Let us ask, let us be honest with ourselves as we ask this question. Do our hearts match the sacrifices of our hands? Do the motives, do the attitudes of our hearts bring as much pleasure to God as the time, the money, and the service that we offer to Him? Do our hearts match the sacrifices, the offerings of our hands? Okay, so not all offerings please God. Then which types of offerings do please him. Okay, again, uh, uh, a bunch of verses from the Bible. Uh, you can reference it on your own time. You can check on your own time. I'm just going to uh, give you the gist of each one of these. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, talks about God loving a cheerful giver. And so an offering that is not made reluctantly or under compulsion, that's one of the things, the, one of the ways that that offering brings him pleasure. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 talks about honoring the Lord with your wealth and giving him your first fruits. So again, giving him your best. Uh, Mark chapter 12 verse 41 to 44. This is the story of the widow's might. Uh, how she gave the, the two copper coins, right? All she had to... to uh, she gave all that she had out of her poverty. And so God commends sacrificial giving. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, this talks about uh, not, give, not, not making a show out of giving to the needy or, or fasting or prayer. And so God takes pleasure in offerings made for Him alone and not for other people to see and admire. Uh, just in case you're, you're, you're thinking that I'm trying to just get you to give more money to the church, uh, all these offerings apply to whatever we offer to Him for His pleasure. So it's not just money, it can be time, it can be our talents, it can be even our own children for His kingdom work. Whatever we consider to be an offering unto God. Uh, these are the types of, of attitudes and, and motives that God uh, is pleased with. 
So we've looked at the differences between Cain and Abel's offerings and Cain and Abel in themselves. Let's zoom in on Cain's reaction to God's disapproval. And so we look at the, the temptation, the sin, and the consequences that Cain faced. Now Cain is famous for murdering his brother. So we, we usually jump straight you know, from his anger at how God receives his offering, we jump straight to the murder of Abel. But before we get there, I'd like us to, to just look at several things. Firstly, that the distortion of mankind's vertical relationship with God affects his horizontal relationship with one another. Whatever caused Cain's offering to not be favorably accepted by God was a, a vertical relationship issue. It was a problem in his, in his relationship with God. Now, verse 5 says that Cain was very angry. Who was Cain angry at? God? Himself? Abel? Uh, perhaps all three. But in Cain's anger, it was probably combined with envy of Abel's right offering. And so this gave birth to hate, which, as Jesus would teach, is the sin of murder occurring in the heart. And once sin is present in the heart, all that stands in the way of it being acted out is opportunity without consequence. Now, think about it. Once sin is in the heart and you're fantasizing about that sin, once opportunity presents for you to be able to act out that sin without suffering from the consequences, very likely that is what you would do. And so we see that sin's distortion of Cain's relationship with God very quickly leads to the distortion of his horizontal relationship with his brother. But Cain does not instantly go from anger to murder. In verses 6 to 7, God asked Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so what this shows us is that sin does not force its way. We give in to it. Now, last week, we saw the birth of original sin, that all of mankind is now cursed with a sinful nature. Not that they would be forced to sin against their will, but they are now born with a tendency to choose sin as a general pattern and way of life. And so Cain was presented with choice. God makes it clear in verse 7 that for Cain, it did not have to go the way it did. This anger that Cain had did not have to lead to murder. Just because Cain failed in pleasing God with his offering did not mean that he had to continue down this path of sin. God, uh, God tells Cain, you must rule over sin. In other words, you must control it, not let it control you. Now, while sin crouches at the door, temptation is knocking. And God in His grace 
of, of warning Cain was giving him an opportunity to turn and walk away from that door and, and the sin that lay behind it. And so it was very possible that Cain could have chosen to walk away from sin. Now in this brief intermission between God's warning and what Cain would do next, Cain has opportunity for introspection, for reflection, and most importantly, for repentance. Now, maybe Cain could have, you know, in humility, uh, after, after failing to please God with his offering, maybe he could have humbled himself and tried to find out from Abel why was his offering pleasing God and, and not Cain's offering. Uh, maybe he could have learned from Abel, you know, who knows. But Cain willfully chose to sin and uh, murder his brother despite God's warning. And so it's very likely that his emotions were a huge factor in his choice to murder his brother. Now there's an important distinction to make here between righteous anger like how Jesus cleansed the temple, and anger that leads to sin. Now, the Bible has quite a lot to, to say about anger. And uh, one thing that the Bible wants about in the many verses where it talks about anger is that it often mentions how being quick to, to anger, quick to be angry, uh, and this implies uncontrolled anger, leads to all kinds of sins and evils and foolishness. And so the, the type of anger that leads to sin is quick, uncontrollable anger. Now let me share with you a, a story that I came across. There was once a little boy who had a very bad temper. His father decided to hand him a bag of nails and say, that every time the boy lost his temper, he had to hammer a nail into the fence. Now on the first day, the boy hammered 37 nails into the fence. He was very angry. The boy gradually began to control his temper, however, over the next few weeks. And the number of nails that he was hammering into the fence slowly decreased per day. And he discovered that, you know, eventually it was just easier to control his temper rather than to go outside and, and hammer nails into the fence. Now, finally, the day came when the boy did not lose his temper at all. And he told the father the news and the father suggested that now the boy should pull out a nail every day that he kept his temper under control. And so the days passed. And the young boy was finally able to one day go before his father and tell him all the nails have been pulled out. And the, the father said, well done. Uh, he took him by the hand, led him to the fence. And he said, you know, good job. Uh, but now look at this fence. Look at all the holes that are there. The fence will never be the same. And he told his son, when you say or you do things in anger, they leave a scar, just like these holes. And so you can put a, a knife in a man and draw it out, but it won't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, 
the wound will still be there. The hurt will still be caused. And so uncontrolled anger often leads to regret. And sometimes that regret is not something that is reversible. Because sin has its consequences. Now in Cain's case, the price that he had to pay was not just the death of his brother or the, the guilt and the self-condemnation that he feels. Uh, he was also driven from his home and out of God's presence. And you know, if this was man's story, that would be the end of it. Horrible ending. <laughs> but this is God's story. And with God, there is always hope for redemption. Uh, we don't know for sure why God lets Cain live instead of letting him be killed by others as he fears. But I can think of two possible reasons. Firstly, that God was being merciful to him to give him the, the opportunity to, to live in repentance of what he has done. And secondly, to bring forth other descendants whom God has purposes uh, just very quickly, by the way, uh, if you read verse 17, uh, it mentions Cain's son being Enoch. This is not the same Enoch as the one who, who walked with God and you know, didn't die. Don't get them confused. That Enoch is a descendant of Seth, you know, uh, Adam and Eve's third son. So, lastly, the slaying of Abel the shepherd points forward to the slaying of Christ, our shepherd. And Jesus himself would be the firstborn lamb sacrificed for the redemption of the whole world. In conclusion, we have many advantages over Cain. We have knowledge of God's word. We have faith in Jesus. We have the spirit dwelling in us. And armed with all that, all these advantages that Cain did not have, we now know that all our offerings are meaningless without the sacrifice of Jesus made for the atonement of our sins through our faith in Him. And so, I'd like you to know that the contents of our heart determine how pleasing our offerings are towards God. It doesn't matter how our offerings may appear to ourselves or to others, and it shouldn't matter how the offerings of others may seem to us. Aim to please God. I'd like you to be humble and repentant in the face of failure. Christ has broken our chains of bondage to sin and we can ignore the knockings of temptation. And do hope for redemption from sin and its consequences. In the event of sin, don't despair. There's nothing that the offering of Jesus, the firstborn Lamb of God, cannot redeem us from. Just confess, repent, and move on. Continue to grow into greater godliness and Christ-likeness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, some reflection and discussion questions for you over the, the week. Firstly, 
What are some reasons that you can think of why God may not be pleased with our offerings? Whether it's money or service or prayer or any religious acts or anything. What are some reasons that you can think of why God may not be pleased? Secondly, what do you think are some other ways Cain could have responded to God's disapproval of his offering? Instead of responding with murder, uh, what are some other ways, perhaps some better ways, that Cain could have responded to God's disapproval of his offering? And thirdly, what are some practical ways that you can A. Identify when sin is crouching at your door and B. Rule over it. Some practical ways that you can identify when sin is crouching at your door and uh, rule over it. Okay? Uh, Take those questions back, ponder upon them, discuss among your groups.